Actually, if, if I can get you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 50 and kind of keep your finger there, we'll get there in just a second. But I got to tell you, I got a call this week from my wife, and it was one of those calls um, that comes to you in the middle of trying to write a sermon on gratitude. And, uh, and as soon as I answer the phone, I kind of realize this is a divine moment, isn't it? Like where God is effectively saying, you had a sermon in your mind, and I'm going to make sure it is also in your heart. Um, and so the call comes and, uh, I discover that the wheels are falling off of her morning, uh, and she's trying to pack, you know, the three kids and a dog for a trip to Seattle to visit my parents for Thanksgiving. And I'll spare you the list of things going wrong, but the pinnacle of the morning was my dog, Jake. And, um, my dog is great. He's a good dog. He's a fantastic puppy. He's smart. He tells us when he needs to go outside. But the problem was my wife had given responsibility to my son. And uh, he didn't feel like taking the dog outside when it was time for him to go to the bathroom. So my wife uh, comes into the room to find him completely um, peeing all over my down comforter. So, um, like, he's not even allowed on my bed. But for some reason, in that moment, he decided he needed to pee all over it. So... Um, so now, you know, you have to add a dry cleaning bill to the mix because it's down. And it's just... You know, you're trying to get out the door to celebrate Thanksgiving. And many of you, you know, probably have way worse holiday tragedy stories. Like if if suffering was a competition, I would lose. But I got to tell you, I was not happy to suffer dog pee. All right. And I I was feeling anything but grateful so much so that I went back home after helping my wife for a few minutes. I went back or went back to the office and threw away my sermon on gratitude and started a sermon on the book of Habakkuk. Like that's how much I was like... (laughs) I'm not doing it. I'm not grateful. I can't preach on it. So um, until I began to soften to the notion that being a whiner in the midst of something fairly comical was revealing of my heart and that maybe Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 were for me in that moment. The words of Paul that say, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so I spent the last week thinking about why is it God's will exactly for me to give thanks in all circumstances? Why is giving thanks uh, this, this posture of the Christian life? Why is it so crucial for the Christian? Notice Paul doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He doesn't say that. He says give thanks in all circumstances. To, to give thanks for all circumstances is to call evil good, right? We're not to, to call good that which grieves God, but we do thank him for his presence in the midst of and for his help in the midst of things that grieve him. And so Paul says give thanks in all circumstances. And this is not just a token kind of remark of thankfulness. This is not stopping once a year to notice that my material greed is momentarily satisfied and then shopping the next day. Right? This is living a daily posture and perspective of gratitude. Paul says it's the will of God. And so that means for us that from dogs peeing on our beds to becoming bedridden, there is a capacity for the people of God to constantly be grateful. So what I've come to realize this week is that gratitude isn't, in fact, just one Christian virtue among many. In fact, gratitude is the soil in which all other Christian virtues grow 
and flourish and develop. Uh, one preacher uh, from L.A., Erwin McManus, says, No truth, no matter how profound, can transform a human heart absent of gratitude. G.K. Chesterton says that thanks is the highest form of thought. Meister Eckhart, a medieval mystic who ultimately, I think, was crucified or killed for being a heretic. But anyways, he said this. Um, he said that if you were to only pray one prayer, thank you would suffice. Um, so if you have a Bible and you're open to Psalm 50, we're going to take a look at today at why gratitude is so necessary. Why is gratitude necessary? And then secondly, how does it grow? How does it develop in us? And then we'll, we'll finish today at the table this morning expressing gratitude for the ultimate gift of God's rescue. So Psalm 50 this morning helps us see why gratitude is necessary. So would you, would you read with me? From Psalm 50, the mighty one, God, Yahweh, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, uh, gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice, or God is a judge. So here's the scene, friends. It's a scene of the Creator God appearing before his people in judgment, actually. And he has a case against his people who've committed their lives to him in covenant relationship, the people of Israel. And and notice that the psalm doesn't offer a final word on their condition, but offers an invitation. Come, let's deal with the way things are. Things aren't the way they should be between God and his people. Let's look at what's missing in this relationship. Verse 7, he says, Listen, my people, and I will speak. I'll testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God, and I bring charges against you, or I'm sorry, I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle of a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, would I not tell you? For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? So he says, essentially, look, Israel, my issue with you isn't what you're doing. It's what's missing from what you're doing. You offer all the right practices. You do what the law says to do. You're doing good stuff. But you think that I need what you have to offer. You think I need your good practices. You think that I need your sacrifices. You think that when you offer a bull or a goat, it satisfies my hunger. But look, the earth is mine and all that's in it. And so here is my issue, Israel. Look at verse 14. He says, Sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you'll honor me. 
See, it isn't sacrifices that are missing from the relationship between people and God in this psalm. What's missing is gratitude. Isn't that interesting? See, what God's saying to his people is what I really want in this relationship, Israel, is a heart that is grateful. Not an empty religious practice. I I don't need that. Uh, Back in Leviticus 7, the Torah, the teaching uh, of Moses told Israel, instructed Israel on different ways of worshiping God. And one of them was the thank offering. And essentially it was an unobligatory, completely voluntary offering to God. It was a personal expression of thankfulness for the mercy and work and justice of God in your life. And uh, and what's missing in this divine human relationship in Psalm 50 is the kind of gratitude that occurs authentically and personally and voluntarily. And so Yahweh says, offer thanks. Fulfill your vows. That is, follow through from the heart. Call on me for help. That's an expression of trust and loyalty. Then and only then, when you live in gratitude and call on me for help, will you actually experience my rescue for what it is. So the question this morning is, why is gratitude necessary? And the first part of the answer to why gratitude is necessary is here in Psalm 50. See, the first group that the psalm addresses is a group that says, God, you need what I have to give you. I've, I've got something that you need from me. And, and the inverse of that position is, I don't need what you have to give me. Right? That's the other side of that coin. And so the first reason that gratitude is necessary this morning is that it keeps us from self-sufficiency. Gratitude is necessary because it keeps us from self-sufficiency. Let me tell you what I mean. See, in this text, you have someone who basically says, God has needs, and I've got bulls, right? God's got needs, and I can fill those needs. I've got what he needs. Uh, And therefore, I actually don't need what God's giving. He needs what I'm giving. It's the kind of self-sufficiency that says, I perform well enough for God to approve of me based on my Merit based on what I have to offer. And because of what I give to him, he accepts me. Because of what I do, I'm good. And a self-sufficient attitude will always end up in one of two positions. A self-sufficient attitude will always end up either entitled or enslaved. It will either be entitled saying, I have worked for this, therefore I deserve it. If good things are happening in my life, I say, yeah, I'm entitled to it. I worked for it. I did good things for it. Or you end up enslaved to obligation, saying, I need to work for this so that I can say I earned it. See, the entitled person says, I worked, I deserve it, celebrate me, God. You owe me, celebrate me. Now, uh, the enslaved person to obligation says, I have to work for it so I can earn it. There will be no celebration here, right? Uh, And so this kind of thinking is unable to produce real gratitude. The self-sufficient person who's enslaved or entitled isn't a grateful person because this person can't receive something of value freely. It will always seek to become worthy of the gift. And here's here's how you know. Um, Our society uh, is uh, an individualistic society. Most societies in the East and other places in the world are communal societies. And 
And our society is driven by this idea of self-sufficiency. Um, other, other societies that are more communal operate in shame-honor kind of power systems, right? Uh, they're communal. Shame is letting the community down. Honor is having face in the community. It's saving face. It's, uh, it's being in good standing. But here in the West, we operate in guilt-innocence, typically. Uh, we're individualistic. So guilt is my personal choice to break the law. Innocence is I didn't do anything wrong. Leave me alone. Okay. So when shame happens in an individualistic society, and it does, um, it's usually connected to how we've let others down. And if self-sufficiency is king, one of the things that I often see connected to shame is this. People feel ashamed when they become dependent in any other way on other people. Have you noticed this? See, people feel ashamed like they've lost face when they aren't self-sufficient, when they lose some form of independence, when they become materially dependent, when they become emotionally dependent. They sense, I've let other people down. I've become a burden. I'm a, I feel ashamed. And so self-sufficiency is this inability to be receptive to the grace and love of others because grace and love are free, actually. They're given. Self-sufficiency can't receive gifts as gifts. Ultimately, the self-sufficient person will say thank you, but they will also feel an obligation to earn back favor. This is many, one of the many reasons um, marriages, in fact, get worse and worse and worse before anybody asks for help. They feel ashamed of an emotional need and they need to keep face. One person or both partners uh, will hold off on asking for help until the damage is done, right? Because of this sense of shame for needing help because they have to keep up the appearance that we got it. We're self-sufficient. And because self-sufficiency is such a strong value in our society, we tend to deceive ourselves into thinking that we have no needs or that if anyone felt and saw my need, they wouldn't accept me. But the antidote to this self-sufficient attitude is to grow in the capacity for gratitude, to learn how to become receptive to grace, to be able to receive what is free and valuable, to accept that we are not self-sufficient, but in fact we are deficient. Do you see how vital this is? Because eventually the reason that God is saying in this text all of these offerings of bulls, they're useless to me because they can't even begin to touch what is deeply broken and deficient in you. Hebrews 10 says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls to bring cleansing to the stain of sin on our hearts. Romans 3 says that God overlooks the sins of people in the past who offered sacrifices until the day that he would offer the ultimate sacrifice, offering the ultimate gift. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross to absorb all the sin and wickedness of the world so that sin, which was is mankind's greatest deficiency, could be dealt with, with justice and love, forgiveness of sins, so that God could destroy evil without destroying us. But sin had to be judged. It had to be dealt with as sin, not just ignored, because no one really wants a God who doesn't deal with evil. And so Jesus, the scriptures say, died in our place. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 3, where he says, There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. All people, 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that just so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, to be made right, to deal with what's deficient in us, we have to be receptive to grace. Just freely given. It's unearned. That's to trust the giver. It's to take hold of the gift of relationship with the living God. And grace is 100% gift. It has to be received by grateful trust. This is why gratitude is necessary for the Christian. Because everything else is just an effort to earn. I have to be able to receive what's freely given. This is why the New Testament word for thanks actually shares the same root as the word grace. Grace in the New Testament is the word charis, right? This is actually, I think, why people say grace before eating. And most, the most common word in the New Testament for thanks or thanksgiving is the, the word eucharisteo, okay? So this grace is right in the middle. And so this is this idea of grace and gratitude are always in partnership the gratitude is the other side of the coin to grace. Where, where grace is received, it is received with gratitude. And so this is why Paul says so frequently to the churches to be thankful, to give thanks in all circumstances because God has poured out his grace. In other words, if God's grace has any real significance in your life and in my life, gratitude will always be joined to it. And therefore, we can be grateful all the time. If God has been charis to you, then you can be eucharisteo all the time. Grace and gratitude are partners. You cannot pull them apart. You cannot have one without the other. And the warning sign for me, when I realize that I'm starting to pull those apart, when I start to not live with those connected, when I start to lose sight of God's profound grace, is usually when I get really grumbly, really complainy, really entitled, like I deserve, or really enslaved to I need to earn. Those are warning signs for me that I am losing sight of God's grace. Because gratitude is the result of grace. So we ask the question then for us, do I see God as gracious? Or do I kind of see him as a bit of a swindler and he's just trying to get something out of me? What's your God picture today? Is he the Exodus 34 God whose self-description is, I am compassionate and gracious? Those are the first words out of his mouth when he describes who he is. I am a God who is compassionate and gracious. That is, I feel for you, I see you, I feel you, and I help you. That's what that means. And so, is God gracious in your mind? See, the giver of the most profoundly valuable and free gift, salvation and relationship with Him, unearned, utterly free, and totally empowering. What's your God picture this morning? Is that Him today? And that brings us to the next part of Psalm 50, verse 16, where he says, But to the wicked person, God says, 
What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join in with him. And you throw in your lot with adulterers and you use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to, de- uh, to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. And when you did these things, I kept silent and you thought I was exactly like you. But now I arraign you and I set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to be blameless I will show my salvation. And to the blameless I will show my salvation. So this first principle is that gratitude is necessary because it guards us against self-sufficiency. Because the first group in the psalm speaks to those who think that God needs what they have to offer and what they have to give. But here, in the second part, God addresses a different crowd, a different set of problems. These are the people who offer the right words, they say the right things, but they've essentially forgotten God. And and inside, they actually hate what God has to say. They go their own way, thinking that if God's silent, if he doesn't respond to them, then he somehow approves of their disobedience. So the first group couldn't see that what God's valuable gift was actually free and it was a gift to be received. The second group doesn't see that God's valuable at all. See, they say the right thing, but their hearts are fundamentally indifferent to God. So the second answer to why gratitude is necessary this morning is because gratitude actually directs our affections, that is, our loves, our desires, the very stuff that motivates us. Um, the, the first answer had to do with being receptive to the free gift of God. The second answer has to, to, has to do with seeing that the gospel is worth everything, to see God's worth. See, without proper gratitude, our hearts go off the rails, loving what's less than lovely. And when gratitude is connected to God's grace... We're constantly reminding our hearts what's actually love-worthy of what ought to captivate our affection, of what ought to command our allegiance. Uh, Back here in verse 2, take a look at this with me. This is the the writer of the psalm, Asaph, says, from Zion, that is God's, God's hill, God's mountain, or Jerusalem, Temple Mount, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Perfect in beauty. Who talks like that? Like, what kind of people talk about beauty? People who are in love talk about beauty, don't they? People who are in love talk about beauty. So the difference between someone who is indifferent to God and someone who really loves, really values, is this assessment that someone or something is beautiful. See, someone with gratitude finds beauty in what's given. It's not just utilitarian. It's not just useful for the moment. It's art. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. Now, not to be too sappy here, my wife, to me, she's just beautiful. She's gorgeous. I think she's amazing. I'm drawn to her. She has my affection. So much so, I'm just indifferent to how other people appear. To be honest, I am. Because my wife, is. she's the gift God gave me and she's beautiful. It's the same for my kids. Like, I think your kids are okay. Mine are beautiful. Uh, You know the same thing, right? You think your kids are cuter than other people's kids. And we all know, like, I don't know. But isn't that true when it's your gift 
when it's your personal gift from God. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. It shines. The gifts that are truly valuable. And so you know that you value grace, the grace of God, when it's more than just useful. It's not just a free ticket. It's not just a uh, uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. You may pass go. It is beautiful. It shines brighter than other realities in your life. So is that, for you this morning, is the grace of God a thing of beauty to you? Does it shine brighter than other realities for you? Is, it a, is, is God a living, breathing reality of beauty and brilliance on your heart? Or has his captivating beauty faded from your sight? Something else more captivating than the brilliance of his grace. This brings us to the last question this morning. If that's why gratitude is necessary, because it guards us from self-sufficiency, which keeps us at arm's length from the gospel, and because it, it directs our loves to find beauty in the thing given, then how does it develop? How does it grow? See, for both groups addressed in Psalm 50, there is a perspective problem. One group overestimates their own worth. What I have to give is more worthy than what God has to give. The other underestimates God's worth, thinks uh, uh, that God is less worthy than what they want. Uh, We have this thing in my house, and it's called man eyes. Not mayonnaise, man eyes. And um, it is a condition... um, that I tend to suffer from more than others, though I notice it is quickly falling upon some of my children. And man eyes is essentially this, where my wife will ask me to look for something. And uh, I do. I lovingly rush to apply my great detective skills in home surveillance. And uh, she asks for whether it's like some item of clothing as we rush to get out the door, or if it's a greeting card in the closet, or if it's something from the kids' room. It really doesn't matter how big it is, what it is, how bright and colorful it is, really. The issue is that when I go looking for it, according to my robust skills of detection, um, whatever it is that she's asked for simply does not exist. It just, it's not there. Um, and so I return to announce her folly in sending me to look for it, bad move, right? Like your move now, right? And I get a look that tends to move me begrudgingly to retrace my steps again, only with similar results. And the cycle continues itself until my now inconvenienced wife finally gives in and goes and looks for it and finds it immediately. Um, And so things go when one is endowed with a case of man eyes. Um, It's the condition of not seeing the obvious thing in front of you. And so often, I find that my original conception of whatever item she asked me to look for is uh, rarely accurate to the thing in itself. What I think it looks like and what it actually looks like are very different, usually. She's like, I said, like, my black shirt. You brought me a tan shirt. Like, what? You know, so I usually don't have these things uh, connected. And a lot of us move through life. And we move through life unaffected by God's beauty, disconnected from God's profound grace because we haven't trained our eyes to see the expressions of them throughout our day. 
We just don't know what we're looking for so often. And so that's why Paul says to make a practice of giving thanks. Listen to Colossians 3.16, where the Apostle Paul says, to let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul's saying, in other words, if you want to radiate gratitude, we actually have to practice it. We actually have to implement it. And we have to develop gratitude by paying attention, by training our eyes to see the gifts of God's grace. And so the gospel produces an opportunity for the Christian to be grateful in all circumstances. But to really allow that gratitude to penetrate our hearts, to move us, and to shape our character to be not grumps, but grateful people, um, we actually have to make a practice of looking and naming the ways that we can be thankful. Speaking it out loud. And so luckily, we don't have to start from scratch when it comes to implementing this. When we look back on church history, there are many wise examples. And one particular practice that came about in uh, the 16th century came about uh, from a guy named Ignatius of Loyola. And he was, he was working to reform the church on the other side of the Reformation. He was working from within the Catholic Church. And he, he uh, formed a group of monks called the Society of Jesus, also known as the Jesuits. And um, he expected his disciples to follow a prayer routine that he called the Examine. And it, it had these kind of four very simple focuses, examining, focusing on where has God been present during my day, what can I be thankful for, uh, reflecting back on my own attitudes and actions and words, and what do I observe in the last 24 hours in myself, and then responding to God and praying through what does that look like tomorrow and how can I cooperate with the Spirit more tomorrow. And so um, th- this examine prayer reflects back on the last 24 hours. And what I, uh, what I want to draw out and key on today is this focus on gratitude. He, he encouraged his disciples to reflect on this previous day and pay attention to the things that they could be grateful for. And he told them to spend as much time on any one of these four steps as needed. And so here's what I want to ask from us this morning, from myself and from you as we look into this next week. Uh, and, and that is this, this challenge here. Will you commit with me to, to pray the b- gratitude portion of the examine each day this week? To carve out a moment, whether it's in your commute or whether it's at a meal, whether it's getting ready for your day or at the end of your day, to just reflect backwards on the previous 24 hours, the previous day, and just name three, just three Three things that stand out to you to be grateful for. To call it out. Call it to mind and claim where God has been good and gracious in your day. And after one week, just observe what's different about the person that I am. What's different about my picture of God. What's different about how I feel even, and then how I live because I'm paying attention. I'm training my eyes to see God's generosity and his goodness 
so that I can have a sense of Him working in my life. Will you do that this week? Spend some time each day this week and just name three things. And can I encourage you to share each day at least one thing with someone else? Maybe somebody from your community group. Maybe somebody in your family. Maybe a friend. Just even say today to somebody before you leave, hey, can I send you a text this week that says what I'm grateful for so we can share in the ways that God's been good and generous and gracious. And we do this eye training thing every week, don't we? We do this thing every week when we gather to worship, where we train our eyes to see and pay attention to the ways that God's good. And here at the table, every week, we pause and we look at the cross. And we see in it, even though it's something horrible, something violent, morally repulsive, we see in it God at work. We see in the cross, light driving out darkness. We see in the cross God's love overcoming our hate. We see in the cross the ultimate expression of God's free gift of grace to say, I want relationship with you. Would you come to me and receive? We, we celebrate the Eucharist, right? The, the thanks table, right? the communion, the Lord's Supper, which celebrates the grace of God. And we focus here such that the only response that accepts grace is Eucharist. Gratitude in meal form. So come to the table this morning, would you friends, and celebrate with us a personal connection of gratitude to God our Savior for who He is and what He's done in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You that You insist on being the giver that you insist on providing the meal, on providing your son to die in our place for our sins, to offer his body and shed his blood for a new covenant in his name. We come this morning to the table to be reminded again that we're freeloaders in your economy and that you are excited about that and that you transform us and you make us generous and you make us new. So we come to your table to receive and to declare your, the worth of what you gave. In Jesus' name, amen.